Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Ish Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Nick Gomez and Summer Avila of San Joaquin Valley College. Nick Gomez is the president of SJVC, where he balances his extensive operations background with leadership abilities to implement strategic long and short-term goals for the college. Summer Avila is provost at SJVC, where she oversees regional accreditation and programmatic compliance processes and supports strategic accreditation initiatives. She is responsible for ensuring equity and integrity of the college's educational programs. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Good to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to start out by having both of you, maybe intern Nick and then Summer, tell us about yourself, what brought you to the positions you're in currently at SJVC? Yeah, happy to. Uh, Good to be on the show today with you. It's a great story. I'm happy to share it. I actually started uh, humble beginnings in the college. I was a faculty member, a part-time faculty member, and it wasn't necessarily an intended career path. It was more so I had finished my MBA and I knew somebody who had shared with me that there was a need at the campus to teach an accounting course. So I went with the intent to teach an accounting course, which I did, of course, and fell in love. Like just fell in love with the idea of helping people learn something they didn't know before and got to be an integral part of that. And it definitely filled my cup. And so just in a in a short capture, if I offered that to you, some 16 years on now, I have the distinct honor of being able to lead the college as president. So I started as a faculty member, went through a number of positions over the course of those 16 years, as you'd imagine, to now have the privilege of being president with the college. And that kind of gives you a summative view just in snapshot. My heart is with the academics. That's what tied me to what we do. And then I got the distinct honor to apply operational knowledge to make sure we do it successfully. And I'm supported by a great team. And Summer's here with us as well to be able to share about that. That's fantastic. Summer, what is your story? I came to SJVC after 10 years in public education. So I was a teacher and administrator and had done extensive staff development initiatives And from that, I entered the college as the director of instruction. So my original position was academic in nature, training deans and program directors and our faculty to ensure effective instruction in every classroom. Over the course of my time with the college, I spent five years leading campus operations and in a region in the Central Valley and really enjoyed that time. Building teams and building people is my favorite thing to do, and I'm extremely passionate about that. Um, I made my way back into uh, academic affairs, recognizing I have extensive experience in that arena, and so now I serve as the provost of the college. What are some of the programs you offer, Summer, and and which programs, you know, are you seeing kind of the most demand these days? Yeah, that's a, a great question. SJVC is a very unique institution. We offer programs at the certificate, the associate, and the degree level in three domains. We have business programs, we have medical programs, and we have technical programs. There's a wide variety of demand given the middle skill gap that we're experiencing here in the U.S. So we are seeing um, increased demand in the trades programs in, you know, electrician and heating, ventilation, air conditioning technology. We're also seeing increased demand in our medical programs as healthcare workers are needed more readily. 
with the technical programs, I'm just curious, like what sort of technical programs within that subset are you seeing the most demand for and and medical as well? Like, are there certain ones that you're seeing more demand for now that COVID is upon us versus what you saw pre-COVID? It's an interesting question. The demand has been growing in our technical programs for some time, and it's continued to grow in the face of the pandemic. We're also expanding across the state of California, so we're meeting the demand through our own growth of the institution. We have a handful of programs with programmatic accreditation where we have set enrollment capacity based on those accreditors. So you think of nursing programs, both registered nursing and licensed vocational nursing. And so we're only able to sit our allotted amount annually, but we are seeing increases in applications received. That makes sense. And Nick, I guess kind of playing off COVID again, what adaptations have you seen or what changes have you seen among the campuses that have maybe affected uh, things like enrollment rates? COVID is amazing. We agreed as a team that we would stop using the word unprecedented (laughs) because it seemed to lose its value after a certain period of time, but it was real in the way that we were experiencing it and the way it challenged us to do the things we do. But adaptation was crucial. And so right at the outset, when we all had to go remote, the biggest form of adaptation was how do we support our students with getting them technology in their hands, Mm -hmm. which came to take the form of iPads so that they could connect with us and we could offer delivery of content. And how do we prepare faculty to take what was a face-to-face interaction and be better positioned to do that remotely, right? Those were two key constructs that we had to tackle. A host of other things in between that, right? Myriad communication challenges and things of that nature, but that was really at the root of how we connected the people, being the students and the faculty, with support from the overarching structure to deliver content that was integral. So adaptation was key. Now within that enrollment is the same thing as our past context had been, you know, students would call out of interest and we would invite them to come to the campus so they could see the campus and see if this was a fit for them and where would be a fit for them. And that was the way in which we did that predominantly. As soon as we moved from off campus, how do you do that, right? So we had to pivot pretty hard and develop some tools that would allow us to share with a prospective student, what is the campus, what is the programs, and how would your interaction look with these if you chose to do this, right? And how do we continue to engage with you to ensure that this is a good choice Mm -hmm. for you? And here's all the information involved in that. So the same construct had to happen, but remotely instead of in person. So it it was a dynamic piece that definitely pushed us to adapt, but I'm extremely proud of the team and the feedback loops that we had in place to continue to get better at that. Um, That should no way imply that there weren't impacts. We did see impacts with enrollment, and I think that had a lot to do with people and the things they were going through in their lives. But I think we've done far and above what we could do to ensure that we're connecting and providing the information that people need to make informed decisions about whether or not school's a good choice for them in the current context feel good about that. So I'm curious, Nick, when, when you have individuals previously like coming on campus, having kind of that in-person experience, and now you're doing that more remotely, do you have situations where folks don't feel comfortable with just getting content online, don't feel like they're getting kind of what they bargained for, and that maybe for them, like the value of the education is being lost somehow? And, and if so, how do you communicate with that person or that family to say like, hey, we think that this is equal, maybe at parity with what, what you were expecting? Sure. The first thing I would offer to you is we're not in the idea of trying to convince anybody of anything, right? What we more so want to do is share with them what we offer. And if it meets them where they are, then encourage them 
to join us, right? But to your point, if somebody doesn't feel that that's a deliverable that works for them, they likely don't enroll. So that's the, the definitive takeaway from that piece. I will sh uh, shift to the current context, which is a more encouraging for us and for the individuals in that case, is that we've largely shifted back to campus now. So with our you know coming out of what was a wholesale lockdown, in effect, associated with COVID, we've been able to find ourselves back on campus, practicing all the good proper PPEs and protocols necessary to ensure people's safety, but opening that space back up to people again so that it's not such a distinctive proposition for them to consider. Do I do this completely remote or don't I do it now? Now it's again about what's my degree of comfort going to campus? What's my degree of comfort in what the organization is doing to ensure to the degree it can our safety in doing so? And do I want to do that now? So we're finding ourselves shifting back now and we're encouraged to be able to offer students the opportunity to come see the campus. The cool thing is, is that we have both now. So we are going back to campus, students are able to come there and see it, but if that doesn't fit for a student now, we've developed the capacity to now engage with them remotely, right? So it's a cool outcropping of something we didn't intend, but now we've developed a competency in, and now it better meets students where they are, which is the key thing that we look to do. That makes sense, and it sounds like a really, really nice silver lining, maybe not even just a lining, but a really nice tangible benefit of COVID may have sped things up from what you were doing previously. I'm curious, it's pretty chaotic these times with logistics and supply chain and, you know, you're offline, like you said, strictly, and now you're kind of transitioning to a blended environment. How do you keep communication smoothly flowing, both with students, but also among faculty? You know, you were once a faculty member, Nick, as you pointed out. How do you keep everyone kind of on the same page so that it's not like, all the cats are moving in different directions. Well, first, I want to talk about that word smoothly. So I think there's a lot of implication in that. I don't know that smoothly would be always the best way to describe it. But to the core root of it, how do you ensure communication effectively? It's constant and it's pulses. And it's where no one of us individually can really do that effectively. It's us as a team and as a community doing that. And so what we find amongst each other is a constant communication thread. We have maximized the use of Teams like in a level that I don't think we had ever anticipated, right? As others are doing with Zoom and, and similar pieces. But we have our one-on-one -on -one connects on an ongoing basis throughout the college. We've continued to offer our interactions with Teams in what we call our executive council meetings and in all faculty and staff meetings through both a remote modality and now more recently in some more in-person contexts. Each one of those serves as a communication vehicle right, within our structure because it engages audiences in a moment and we share. Overlaying that is a constant stream of connections like this where we see each other and talk with each other through the technology that's available to us, emails, phone calls, right, and intermittent visits in between. And so those are the mechanisms. At the root of your question, though, is um, ownership from us at a, at a leadership level to share and to own with our campuses that we owe it to each other to communicate effectively both our challenges and our successes. And so we look to model that in all that we do and look for the same from the individuals involved. Summer, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. I would just add that one of the benefits of transitioning to remote trainings and meetings is it has afforded us that serve the entire institution to attend 
more campus meetings and trainings than we could before. So every Friday, I am attending a faculty development session on one, two, or three campuses all throughout the state because they're being held on a platform that I can get to easily. And so I can be in Ontario up until 10 a.m. And at 10.01, I'm in a meeting in Rancho Cordova. And that was never possible before. So I can connect directly with all stakeholders as a function of our transition. And that's really exciting. Such a great point. So I appreciate bringing that up. You know, you, you brought up, Summer, the fact that one of your program threads or verticals is in healthcare and, you know, you have a fixed number of RN, LVN seats. I'm curious around the motivations. Like, do you see any difference in terms of the kinds of folks that are reaching out to join these programs in light of the fact that we have this huge pandemic? We've also seen this huge focus on kind of making sure that we remember that frontline workers are heroes and that they're carrying out an important mission. Has that changed at all the types of candidates for the programs? Sure. I think, and we believe as an organization that getting in touch with the why of what brings students to us at the onset is very important. And that's been a part of our process for a long time. And so there is some transition over the last year outside of just looking to get into a career, although recognizing that healthcare is booming as a career is still part of what is drawing students. But you will hear stories of folks who interacted with healthcare workers as a result of the pandemic and were touched by what these healthcare workers did for them. And they want to be a part of that. Or the essential worker movement, or as you shared, the recognition that their heroes among us is drawing on individuals to join those fields. And so you are hearing that more than we did in the past with students that are coming to us. They want to be a part of that for the better of our communities. When folks graduate from these healthcare programs, I'm curious if they get placed in jobs, if you help support them in applying for jobs, like how does that work? And, and then the final part is how did the employers then get pulled into the training itself? Do they get a say in terms of what is taught, how it's taught and things like that? Yes, all of the above. We're a career-focused organization. We're educating these students with the intent that they will be launching into their careers. So we begin discussing that at the onset of their interest with the college. During their orientation, they meet their career service advisors who are working with them all throughout. We have individual activities integrated throughout the program. So we're focused on resume building building, interview skills. There are several components of professionalism that are part of our institutional learning outcomes that we would see all of our graduates having. And we have a career services department that is deeply connected with the community. So several of our programs have an extern or a clinical component where students are out in the field during their last module or term and they're getting on the job experience. And so that can be a launching pad towards employment. We also have connections with employers in each community that we serve all throughout the state for our online students. Those employer relationships see employers coming to campus, interacting with our students, doing presentations, serving on our advisory board. There are times at advisory board meetings that they're interviewing graduates and hiring them right there. It's a wonderful thing that I've experienced personally. 
Those advisory boards and those externship or clinical relationships are two vehicles where we do get direct feedback from employers that's integrated into our program review cycle. And so their feedback helps us determine what revisions need to be made at the course level in terms of learning outcomes, new technologies or concepts that we should be teaching, feedback from our graduates and our external students informs how we improve so that we're meeting the needs of the employers and the communities that we serve. So their voice is very important. And so it's a triangulation with the standards that are set by the program, our own faculty's experience as subject matter experts that they're bringing and the employers that we're serving. So as we bring all that together, that helps inform and also revise our program each year. You know, I'm trained in the medical model, and I'm just so curious, you know, you mentioned a couple of nursing programs, and I'm sure there are other uh, healthcare programs you run. I'm curious how they've changed, you know, so for example, like, what are some things that y'all are teaching now, that if you were to wind back the clock and look back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'd be like, wow, that's actually quite different, you know, because electronic medical records. Yeah. (laughs) definitely come a long way in the time that we've been in the college. The transition from analog to digital has been a big transition in several of our programs. In dental and even in our veterinary technology program, there's been increases in technology there. Also, in some of our roles, the scope of the role has changed over time. So when you think about our respiratory therapy program, respiratory therapists and shifts in the medical field, which I'm sure you're familiar with, there's a greater sense of team collaboration, right? So as we're training nurses and surgical technologists and respiratory therapists, there's interdisciplinary work that we're now teaching collaboration and communication as the shift in patient care has been made in the industry. And so we see that shift simultaneously in our programs. I would offer another piece in that uh, a change is the integration of simulation. High fidelity simulation has been a, a powerful piece. It was out of necessity in some regard. We had to make sure we understood programmatic allowance for it because it's variable based upon the discipline. Yeah. But the idea of using simulation in that space to augment the student's understanding of how to apply a skill set before or in tandem with when they're in a clinical environment is fantastic. And so we've been able to see that really pick up a pace in this environment that will now carry forward as well, which is pretty cool. As a former faculty member, Nick, just drawing on that experience, I'm curious, how do you train the faculty to teach these new things and also how how you want to teach them? Uh, How do you get them up to speed, given that they may have been trained themselves in an era when these things were not around or not, not taught? So about training faculty, I'm going to rely on some or more, but I'll offer to you my my overview is um, we very much engage in the manufacturers as well. So when we get a high fidelity mannequin, for example, and bring that to bear, it is a pretty involved system. And so we have an agreement with the manufacturer to come out and do training, installation, and then we look to build the knowledge base within the participants at that given site so that they too can apply it. So that is a key aspect right on the forefront because you're right, it's a bit different for them. Yeah, I would offer that fundamentally we approach teaching, which we equate with training from using what we know about adult learners. So both with our students and with our instructor, right? Sharing the why, um, the value that's in it for them. And then organizing, in this instance, professional development based on what we know about brain-based learning. So setting the environment up 
so that the information can be received. Having clear strategies to help them unlearn previous concepts. You know, it's harder to unlearn and relearn than it is to learn something new for the first time. So we do spend great care when we're seeing a transition that would require some unlearning for faculty, especially folks maybe coming from the industry. So this is a question for both of you in turn. You know, we have on this program a focus around teaching. We try to fill in any knowledge gaps folks may have, any myths that they may want to dispel. Maybe Summer, you can go in the nick. Are there any kind of knowledge gaps you can think of that you'd like to share with our audience, keeping in mind that we have a lot of folks that are kind of early career folks or just starting in their medical journeys? Yeah, I think the advances in technology um, have changed some of how we as learners are receiving information. And so there's a body of research on thinking about like when you're watching a movie, how many times that scene is shifting to keep us attending. And so as learners, the greater clarity we can understand on how we learn and how we need to organize information when we're learning based on how our brain has been adjusting to our own technology use is very important. The process of getting information from exposure into working memory and then long-term memory really varies. And so we're seeing that more pronounced as technology integration and stimulation has increased over time. And so I just offer that as something that's always been true, but that we're experiencing as learners more and more. So the better we can get in touch with ourselves and our learning styles, the better we'll be able to engage with whether that's the course we're taking or just like we shared, you know, we're out in the field and a new machine comes, you know, what do I need to do as a learner so I can best fully understand and develop my competency in utilizing this new tool or system? That makes sense. That's a great point, Summer. And I don't know if I'll be speaking necessarily to a knowledge gap as much as a great opportunity to speak to your audience and as much as they're listening. I think there's this wonderful opportunity that these individuals have gone through some degree of training or education themselves before they find themselves in these fields. And as you know, thoroughly in the process, what are they able to do or in position to do to encourage and support those that are coming in behind them? Like they've, they've already walked this path to a degree. And while they're in the beginning of it, they're further along than those just coming out of a educational institution like ours. And so how do they be that bridge for those people coming in to the degree they can, right? And having a mindfulness to that. So it's not a knowledge gap per se, but it is a connectivity gap, right? The piece of a, a medical environment is highly demanding. I've had the opportunity to go walk in these locations and meet with people. And I am awestruck at times by the degree of just pieces in their field of view. And these are life and death scenarios while they're still managing through operational needs and working with each other in the process. And that can be daunting, I imagine, right? And for someone just coming out of an education into that environment, it can be even more so. So anybody who's in that environment, who's had that experience and knows it, Put yourself out there, have an opportunity to connect with somebody who's just putting their feet down on the first time and recognize they're part of that team, right? And allow them to be on that path with you. That's fantastic. And, and maybe then to contextualize this, we're going through COVID, it's still here with us. I'm curious, what are some things that you'd advise someone as they're emerging through kind of this COVID economy and, and learning state? What are the things that they can do to kind of get their sea legs and make sure that they're making the right decision around pursuing a career in healthcare? Summer, you want to take a stab at that? Sure. You know, I think recognizing that adaptability and flexibility 
are needed now more than ever. And so as you're thinking about pursuing a career, you know, asking yourself, you know, would I be okay if it looks slightly different in two to three years and really feeling comfortable that if you're entering healthcare, that it's an evolving field. You know, we shared some examples of how it is dramatically different, but most importantly is, do you want to make a difference in the world? Because that's the beautiful part about becoming a healthcare worker. You are in your everyday experiences going to positively change people and their families' life for years to come. And so that's a, a wonderful question. Uh, you know, do you want to be a hero in, in someone else's life? And, and that's really what I would hope that they would be asking themselves and that they would be saying yes to, and then have comfort in knowing that the unprecedented evolution that we've experienced has also shown that there's a lot of opportunity in these fields because we don't know what the future will bring. And so if you have that flexible, adaptive mentality, the sky is the limit when you're entering this industry. That was well said. Fantastic. Well, that is a great note to end on. I think that that idea of getting folks ready to become heroes on the front line is very inspiring and certainly a, a big part of why people find find purpose in their life. And I appreciate the fact that both of you are, are helping them accomplish that through their education. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us today. Good to be with you. Thank you for having us. I'm Risha Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>